Well, good morning. Boy, it's blessed to be with you guys this morning. I, got to, I probably need to just give a caveat before we, before we begin the message and sermon this morning. Uh, my wife and I, if you're not aware, uh, this is our last Sunday here at Gulf Coast Community Church. Um, there's some issues that have happened with my health over the last three months that have caused us to recognize just not going to be able to continue the length of the drive and what's required to continue to fellowship. Pam and I have been here, I was trying to count up, I think it's 19 years. We started in 2005 and then now. And so it's been a real blessed time. I got to tell you what came to my mind as I was thinking about today. When, when Paul was at Ephesus and he was en route and going to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, he knew that he would be facing the emperor and actually facing death. And so when he was speaking to the congregation that was gathered around him, he said, the Lord has shown me this is what's going to be happening. Um, I'm involved in change and there's persecutions from place to place where I go. But he said, and what grieved him most, I think, was that he would not be able to see their faces for quite some time. Maybe never. And so they gathered around and they had prayer. And uh, the scripture says that they fell. On Paul's neck. And begin to pray. Love on him. And I think... That's what Pam and I feel like. If we could fall on your neck and hug and love on you, that would be our desire today. My concern is, you know, Scripture said they, they, they cried, so I'm imagining Paul did too. My concern is, I don't know if there's enough Kleenexes in this auditorium for me personally. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, it started around October the 3rd, 2023, about three months ago. And all of a sudden, the airwaves, internet, news reports were filled with the information about how Hamas had launched an aerial strike ground attack, a full-on attack from the Gaza Strip into Israel. You're familiar with it. It was, it was all over the news. Live breaking reports that seemed to happen very frequently every time you turned on the TV or changed the channel. It wasn't too long after that news happened that I began to notice that there was a change. And some of the people that I follow, that I listen to through YouTube, and there was a lot of reports, there was a lot of sermons, preaching, teaching about the end days and the end times. And it was like, how is it that when we hear about wars, that all of a sudden we think this is the end of the age, this is it? Probably because we look back at 
the disciples were talking to him about, when are these things coming to pass? Now, when, he, when they said, when are these things coming to pass, they were talking about the temple crumbling, about Jerusalem being ransacked by Rome. And Jesus had told them concerning the temple and the ransacking of Rome, of Jerusalem, that it, was, that it would be preceded by wars and rumors of wars. But I think we've gotten into a habit and maybe it's through just training or the things that we've been exposed to that when we think about the end times, we think in terms of wars and rumors. Of wars. As a matter of fact, if you were to do your own personal uh, interview of a handful of people and you were to ask them the question, so what do you think are the signs of his coming? Probably one of the first things out of their mouth would be wars and rumors of wars. But is that the way Jesus replied to their question? Did he say wars and rumors of war concerning the end of the age? He didn't. Not concerning the end of the age. Concerning the fall in Jerusalem and the ransacking of the temple. He did give some specific information concerning wars and rumors of wars. I think one of the things that troubles me is that when I hear reports of wars and rumors of wars, that there's an anxiousness that happens, particularly within the church. Now, if, there's, if you're stirred to pray for what's going on over there and to get involved in some way, that's cool, that's great. But to let our hearts be troubled, to let our hearts go up and down and be unstable according to the last news report. I don't think that was the intention of what he was trying to convey. I don't know that so much this morning that I would like to talk with you about end times as much as I would like to talk with you about how to wait. He, he was clear concerning signs. He was clear concerning the wind, nobody knows. I don't even know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. I sort of like, I wish the church would just be done with that one. You know, the wind, trying to pin it down, trying to do weird things with scriptures or take weird reports. Oh, I've seen some, some, some weird things. You know, some interpretations that make you go, how did you get that? But there are people, there are people that we love people that we know that when we hear about an escalation of wars when we hear about an escalation of instability somebody's going to say well the Lord must get, be getting ready to come back soon I'd like to look at the scriptures with you this morning and discover how Jesus told us because he's very specific on how to poise our hearts when we talk about end times so I'm not going to talk about signs, I'm not going to talk about the wind today, but I'm going to talk about how we poise our hearts, how we wait. I'd like to give you a little bit of background on how this question came into being. And so if we could look from Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 3. They were asking Jesus, how is, how is all this going to go about? How is it going to happen? And here's the origin of it. Starting in verse number one, Jesus left the temple 
and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And he was talking about the temple, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Now watch, turns just a little bit here. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will all this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. That's a two-part question. When will all these things happen concerning the temple being destroyed? And tell us about the end of the age. And then he goes, we're Matthew 24, all the way through verse number 35. And he gives them instructions on the destruction of the temple. But concerning that second question about the timing of the end of the age, Jesus begins to draw their attention to, watch this, to now that day, to that hour in verse number 36. So he's spending time all the way through, on, uh, through verse 35 on what is going to be involved as far as the destruction of the temple. But now in verse 36, he's going to give attention to their questions about the end of the age. Concerning that day and that hour, he begins to point out, are you ready for this? He begins to point out the normality of that day. See, we hear wars and rumors of wars. What doesn't capture a lot of our attention, it's not spoken of a lot, is the normality of what will be going on when he returns. Watch this. We're going to start reading now in verse uh, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Here we go. As it was in the days of Noah... So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were, what? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, having baby showers, christening boats for the first time that they're launched out into the ocean. Up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen to them until... The flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Hmm. Sounds like there's going to be some normal things that are going on. I'm not prophetically saying this. Could be today. A normal day like today. Sometimes we've been cued into how horrific things can be. I'm not saying that things won't be horrific. They can be. But Jesus is specifically talking about that day and that hour. And he brings their attention to the normality of the time. Watch this. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. Sounds like they're just doing business. Gathering in grain. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken. And one will be left. He's pointing to the normality of that time. Let me tell you, if your if your focus on his coming is wars and rumors of wars, which are always gonna be, they're always gonna be occurring until the Prince of Peace comes and sets his kingdom up forever.
They're always going to happen. But unfortunately, if that's your focus, then when wars and rumors of wars happen, you are vulnerable for your soul becoming unstable and it flexing according to the news. And you will miss what he wants you to do in preparing for that day. By the way, if I repeat myself this morning, I've got an excuse. It's my last time here. And <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous. And uh, bear with me. By the way, if you see me at some point just sitting on the stool, it's because I have sudden, sudden events of weakness and I have to sit down. Or I have to go lay down. That's another reason why um, Pam and I are, are needing to make a change is for things to be a little more close to home as this thing continues to progress, whatever it looks like. Yes, I'm going to a lot of doctors. I don't know about you. When I go get tests from doctors, they are a long time in getting back with you. What happens? I wish they'd find something so we could fix it. (laughs) Jesus doesn't tell them that the answer to win. But he does draw their attention in how to wait. And that's where we're concentrating this morning. How to wait. There's one particular parable we're going to focus on this morning. and It's known to many as the parable of the talents. I'd like to begin reading for you. And would you read with me from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. By the way, let me introduce it this way. When they ask him about when, Jesus told them a parable. He didn't give them the date and the time, though they are. He gave them a series of parables. If you read through chapter 24 and chapter 25, and it's so interesting as you watch these parables, these parables build one on top of another. It like takes a thread and it gives you in one parable. Then it takes another thread as it works into another parable. The sequencing is beautiful to watch. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went in at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Whose money is it? Okay. His master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, 
I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So if you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I should have received it back with interest. I'm going to stop reading for a second. I want to interject this for just a minute. Do you see what the third servant is doing? He's accusing his master of stealing, of being a theft, a thief. You gather where you have not scattered. Oh, come on. Where did he get his first talent from? Where did he get his first bag of gold from? Hadn't the master sown into him? Where did it come from? It came from the master. He looked at Jesus wrongly. You should have put the money in deposit with the bankers. And when I returned, I should have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot in there. Why? Why did Jesus teach in parables? Using stories. But what's the point of a parable? Generally it is to bring across one specific thought that you're to take away from that story and from that parable. But it also acts... You ever, you ever get something stuck in your, in your shoe? And you're trying to walk on it or get it off and you take your shoe off because that pebble bothers you. A parable is also supposed to serve as a pebble in your shoe, as a pebble in your soul. For one of those elements of that parable that he tells, for it to remind you. So he teaches in parables. And Another purpose of a parable is this, that a parable does two things. It reveals, I said it reveals and it conceals. Do you remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And he said, it's given to you who are of the kingdom to hear and to understand. But those who aren't of the kingdom, they don't understand. So the purpose of a parable was to reveal but was to conceal to those whose heart was hard and they didn't really want the truth so the purpose of a parable be a pebble in your shoe it's also to reveal and to conceal Jesus taught 30 parables he must have considered them to be a pretty effective way of communication so initially, this morning, let's define a talent in this passage. Now, one of the things I like that the NIV does here, you see that in this passage, we don't see the word talent used. But where we see bag of gold, you can go ahead and insert that word talent there. And all the other translations I've looked at use the word talent. Been a problem. Well, let me say NIV does us a favor because it translates it as a bag of gold. 
when actually what it is, is it is a unit of measurement, a talent, so that it could hold large sums of money and it could carry a lot of weight. Let me ask you something. When you pay your taxes, do you pay your taxes in half dollars? Needs a larger receptacle than that, doesn't it? So when the area countries around Rome would pay their tributes, they paid them in talents, not in silver and gold coins. Now, they may have gotten silver and gold coins from the people who were paying their taxes, but when a country paid taxes, they were significant enough that they measured them out in talents. The talent is first used in the Bible during the construction of the tabernacle. I think I've told you before that a talent weighs approximately between 73 to 75 pounds. The talent was first used in the Bible in the construction of the tabernacle, the church in the wilderness, where Moses um, gave them the plans, God gave the plans to Moses, and, and, and they built it according to the plan that God had given to Moses. They used 29 talents of gold, 100 Talents of silvers. A talent, again, was a unit of measurement, and it's a weight especially for large amounts of gold and silver. Yet there's another time in Old Testament where we see the word implied for talent. The Hebrew, I've got it written down here. I may not say it right. Kikav. So what happened was David had a crown that weighed a talent. Remember how much a talent was? 75 pounds. Plus some jewels on top of that. You ever tried to wear anything 75 pounds on your head? <laughs> Somebody told me that you can sometimes look at these, the, the women that are you know, in, in other countries and they get these jugs of water that they balance on their head. That's like a bowling ball on top of a pen trying to wear something that heavy. Head has got to juggle, joggle all over the place. I don't know, this is, this is my weird sense of humor, but I think of David trying to go to the tabernacle, or sorry, to the temple to worship, and he's wearing that crown. His head has got to be bouncing all over the place. And when the preacher says, it's bow our heads and pray, his head is already <laughs> bowed. <laughs> that crown David had gotten from a spoil of war, you see, when God sent the children of Israel into the promised land, it was filled with Canaanites who were wicked, so wicked. God had reached out to them hundreds of years, time and again. They did not repent. It had gotten so bad that the scripture translates it as the ground itself vomited out the inhabitants. And God said, I'm going to clean that out. I'm going to use Israel to clean that out. Because when my spirit gets a hold of you, that part which is not of me, I am going to change. I'm going to make it like me. And so it was a spoil of war. That's where David got his crown from. Unfortunately, when we transliterated that word, talenton, it sort of sounds pretty identical to the word that we use for talent, like, boy, that guy's got a real good gift. He can put a ball through the hoop 
from way, way far out, three points. What do they call that? It's not the top of the key. What, they're at the three-point space anyway. Not, I wasn't born with that, were you? We translated, transliterated that from talenton when it should have meant weight, and we thought of it as a talent or a gift that was given to us. I was not given the gift of being able to run fast. I was okay. I'd come in third and fourth, but I never came in first. So I went to college to learn how. I mean, to learn why I couldn't come in first. (laughs) Actually, I was in anatomy and physiology, and we were studying muscle structure. And they told us about fast fibers. And that some people are born with fast fibers, and some people don't have quite as many fast fibers in their muscle tissue. Which means they would run faster than you. So I just took it, I run a little bit slower because I don't have as many fast fibers as my competing partners were, and I was off the hook. So I sort of like it that the NIV has translated talent to bag of gold because now it starts to get our mind off of looking at some kind of talent that could be from God and we hone it well, and we perform well with it. But the point of this parable is a weight. And we need to see it as a weight, or we won't understand the parable. So the title of the sermon is, How Do We Wait? That's a big question. How do we wait when the day and the hour of his return is unknown? I'd like to read with me again Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to start at verse 36. So the question is, how do we wait when the time is unknown? I just want to underscore the eating and drinking, the marrying, the giving in marriage, the baby showers, the birthday celebrations, constructions going on, business was happening. As in the days of Noah, they didn't have a clue. Sort of like business as usual. Jesus says, this is how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the hand mill. One taken, the other left. I recognize, by the way, that we've already read this. But Jesus, what he's pointing them to is normalcy. It's what it will feel like for many when he returns. So he doesn't. He doesn't tell us the when, but he does tell us the how to wait, which is what we're now into. So I'm going to give you a series, as long as I have time, a series of questions that begins with how do we wait, and we're going to look at the answers. A primary answer to how we wait is provided for us by this parable itself, by increasing his assets and wealth. It's clear from this story that there is an expectancy of increase when he gives those talents, when he gives those assets to you. It's a clear expectation that it is one of increase and gain and putting his wealth to work. Let's read again from this parable, chapter 25, verse 16 and 17. The man who had received five bags of gold went, watch this, at once. There's something about that at once. And he put his money to work and gained, watch that key word, gained, 
There's a clear expectancy of what he gives to us, his assets that he gives to us, assets such as grace and mercy and peace, his word, those he wants to see gain from. So it is also true with the one with the two bags of gold. He gained two more. In this parable, the two servants were increasing and investing and preparing for his return. They were at work. Waiting for his return did not mean inactivity. It didn't mean for us we could sip on tea on our lawn chair at St. Pete Beach or Waikiki Beach, whichever one you prefer. Now, he may let us do that, but waiting, what he expressed, waiting, there was an activity, there was action that's going on. The two servants were at work increasing his holdings, his assets, and we are to do likewise. But first, we need to understand that the God that we work for does not expect increase because he needs more stuff. His desire for increase is more righteous than that. Plus, he doesn't need more stuff. I said his desire for gain was righteous because there are more captives to be set free using his assets of grace and mercy and truth and peace. There's more good news to proclaim to the poor. There's more liberty to proclaim to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. More to set at liberty those who are oppressed. There are those who need to be set free from self-inflicted lies and lies that Satan has inflicted on this broken world. By the way, I just want to lay this foundation that the raw value of five, two, or one talents, if you were to take those and cash them in, whether it's five or whether it's two or whether it's one, you would be a multimillionaire. The approximate value of a one bag of gold today is $12.5 million. Look closely at this. I want you to look at his generosity. Those assets, you know, those assets that are worth millions that he gave to to us, the five and the two and the one he gave you, those that are worth millions, yet look what his master calls those millions. He calls those talents, those assets, those millions. He calls them few. You have been faithful over a few. Now, come enter into my happiness, and I will set you over many. In other words, you've done a good job, servant. That's great. You've been faithful, and I want to increase your holdings. Now, come, roll up your sleeves, because we're really going to get busy. You see, when we come into the kingdom of heaven, when we get to heaven, heaven is described in some wonderful expressions of man there is a worship service that happens around the throne of God that is going to be second to none and we're going to take crowns that he gives us his money is what he delivered to the servants the crowns that we will wear come from him and we will take what he has given to us 
we will take our crowds in that worship service and we will cast them at his feet. Come. Come into my happiness. You know, Jesus has a track record for multiplying. He multiplied the fish. He multiplied the bread. And he hasn't stopped multiplying. Colossians 1 Verse 4, the gospel is increasing. It's, it's, it's so contrast. It, you look around us and it seems as if wickedness is increasing. And it is. The more people that are born, opportunities for wickedness increases. But guess what? Paul said the gospel is increasing throughout the whole world. And while there may be an increase in the works of darkness, because we got more people, there's also the increase of his word throughout the kingdom of God. When we think of the end times, we need to give attention to and turn our eyes to an unshakable kingdom that is here now and is shortly to come into its fullness, one that is ever increasing and will never fail. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So how do we wait? When you think about the talents, the assets that he's given to you, I want you to think in terms of those assets of the kingdom of God and of your assignment. How do you wait? Your assignment during this time while you wait. Your opportunities, your responsibilities in increasing and managing those assets of his wealth that he's committed to you. Our assignment is to put his wealth to work. Two of the servants reported back to him that they were having increase. See, master, I have gained more for you. Again, the increase is for our sakes. He doesn't need more stuff. It's for our sake. It's for your neighbor's sake. It's for the nation's sake. He doesn't need more stuff. Now watch the unfaithful servant who buried and hid his talent. Jesus further underscores his expectancy of gain by using a monetary illustration when he says, should you not have given my wealth to the bankers and at least I will have had interest? He calls his servant wicked. Do you know why? Because he did less than the least. How wicked is that? Jesus is saying, at least you could have. And this servant was not about to do anything to make for his master's gain. The failure to invest in Christ's kingdom brought sharp rebuke from the master. The stripping of that which was entrusted to him and the removing of him from the master's presence and cast into darkness. The unfaithful servant thought wrongly, called him a hard man, so much that he called him a thief, reaping where he did not sow. But that's the nature of sin, isn't it? To think wrongly of our master, 
to perceive wrongly. Adam and Eve did that for us first. We can see what they did. Did they perceive wrongly? And Satan said, has God indeed said? And then they start to call into question the, the goodness of God. Isn't that the nature of sin? To think wrongly about our God? I wonder. We're about to run out of time. But I wonder, has misperceptions of God kept you from Him? Perceptions that may be tainted, even, even severely jaded. It may be that your misperceptions has caused you to bury or hide that good calling of God that He has on your life to come and get to know Him and see Him for who He is. It could be that the assets that He has entrusted to you are now dormant. Not in use. But can I tell you, he's a good God. He is a good God and not a hard man as the wicked servant perceived. And he wants you to come and enter into his joy and the joy of really knowing him. Jesus died for you so that you may live. He's not a hard man. Last thing I think I'd like to say this morning about the comment. The unfaithful man said, This story highlights an immutable kingdom principle which is you cannot hide or bury the wealth of his assets that he has given to you or it will be taken away from you as it was the unfaithful servant and given to another. That's straight up structural, spiritual entity of his assets. You give it away. You employ its use where you are in the marketplace. You employ its use in your neighborhood. You give away the mercy that he has given to us. We increase his assets. And just as a servant who did nothing about that, but who hid the master's assets, had it taken away. Uh, That's page number five. And I'll close out page seven. Here in this congregation, let's imagine the kingdom through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount as our investment counselor. In In order to see increase the first two servants had to know their master's will they had to know his likings they had to know what his preferences were they had to know his interests because when you take those millions in assets and you start to and think now in terms of back then not now when you start to think in terms of investing monies of those sorts assets of those sorts 
You can't run to some day trader or you can't get on the internet and just go to one place and all of a sudden in one place invest a lot of money inspect a return and you're done in an hour and you sit and wait no back then they didn't have that back then that servant had to go out and survey what were needs what were opportunities he had to imagine the kingdom according to what he had learned and seen and observed from the master what his preferences were that takes a lot of oversight. So they use their abilities to see increase and to see his assets grow. Here in this church, we've paid attention to what he says on the Sermon on the Mount. We had an individual that came to this church a few years back, a refugee in a hard, hard place as refugees know where they are. And we took that person in. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And we did this for this refugee that came into our congregation. We did what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. We treasured that way of Jesus where We fulfilled his command to lay up treasures in heaven. There's always expenses within a church. There's always somewhere where you need to invest. We invested this in a refugee. We laid up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doesn't corrupt. And in so doing, we increased his wealth. And we increased hers too. And she came to know the Lord Jesus here in this church. What are we to be about? We're to be about increasing his wealth. About increasing his assets. And they have been delivered to you for gain. Gain his kingdom. He's coming when you least expect it. And at the times it looked very normal. Two men working in the field or at the factory. Two women doing global e-commerce. Marriages, baby showers happening, little league championships and adult football championships. As it was in the day of Noah when they knew nothing about the flood. So our times, in our times, many will be ignorant of him and his ways. And they will perish. So let's invest his assets of mercy and joy and peace and bring him gain. Could you stand with me for just a moment? Let's position ourselves to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my happiness.